Welcome to Generation Ag, a podcast for the future of agriculture. I'm Kayla. And I'm Lavinia. And we're a couple of young Aggies passionate about celebrating our industry and sharing the stories of people who work in it. Welcome back to the first episode of Generation Ag for 2022. That's actually an interview. Very excited for this one with Georgia Gorham. She is a legend. She actually grew up in the Northern Territory and she started working at the export yards when she was 14 after driving past and seeing what was happened on her way to school and into Darwin. Georgia then knew she really wanted to work in the cattle industry and wanted to pursue a career as a stock agent. But after the live export ban, uh, there was a decrease, obviously, anyone who would know. Um, a lot of jobs were lost and people are actually still recovering from that. And George talks a little bit about that during her interview. So she actually went on to study accounting and started her own bass business. But once the livestock industry got back on track, she started to apply for jobs in the livestock industry as an agent because that was really where her passion lied. So after a lot of knockbacks, a lot due to her gender, she is now working in her dream job for nutrient livestock in Tasmania, which is amazing. And she's also an auctioneer and she has been studying ruminant nutrition and psychology to further her career. And she talks about this as well as her progress for her future career. So thank you so much again, Georgia, for this amazing interview. I think a lot of you will get a lot out of it. And it's really, really interesting to touch on gender equality within the agricultural industry still in 2022. And something that we're really trying to bring to light is not really highlighting women in agriculture as much, but actually just providing opportunities for everyone no matter who they are and having no gender bias so it was really interesting to have this conversation and we really appreciate Georgia on being so candid and open with the conversation and I encourage you all to just listen and be open-minded about it and yeah let's get into the interview and if you have any feedback always guys hit us up particularly on our Instagram and remember if you've got any guest recommendations or anyone you want to hear from also let us know via our Instagram or email let's get into the interview Georgia, thank you so much for joining me on the Generation Ag podcast. I'm so excited, as I just mentioned off air. It is my first podcast back for the year. And I heard about your story and I read into you and I was like, Georgia is a weapon of a woman and we have to get her on the podcast. We always start off with one question, which is about your childhood. And you have quite a unique story, so I'd love for you to tell us about yours. Yeah, so I I had a really good, actually, childhood. I Grew up 40 minutes south of, of Darwin, a little town called Darwin River in the Northern Territory. And it was it was like a very bush bush block and a bush lifestyle, which was different because both my parents came from, you know, they were grown up, brought up in the ocean. And so all my photos growing up were of me playing in the ocean with cousins because we have a very big family. But where I actually lived was d- dad's a builder. So we built this octagon-shaped house, um, which was great but it had no walls so it was just it was just a roof and just a floor and so mum coming from town in the city bringing home a newborn was extremely apprehensive about bringing a baby into this no no walls and into the elements 
And she was even more concerned when, when dad came home and just started erecting this two-metre rock for a waterfall feature rather than putting up walls. And she, she was very concerned about all of that. But she demanded that I slept in the middle in between them both um, because, you know, she just didn't want anything to come and get me. And the first week that she had me home, they woke up to a python trying to push through the, the netting to try and get at me. And it was at that point mum was like, right, okay, put down you need to put some walls up. This is ridiculous. And so we went along for a while with no incidents until I was five. Um, and my little brother had come along at that point and he was on the trundle mattress and I actually woke up to a four meter, very large, very, very old olive python wrapped around me and was trying to eat me. <laughs> and I vividly remember oh my gosh. <laughs> small parts from that. I just have little flashbacks of that night. And I remember vividly trying to push something off me and feeling pain on my head and my arm where it had bitten me and then looking at mum and seeing her face come in and just going white and her screaming and anyway it was but obviously extremely traumatic for my mother um having to wrestle her child out of a snake's mouth um so after that we we sort of um we got more walls better walls the snakes couldn't climb over the top um but no I was really lucky I had a really great childhood you know it was a big mix of agriculture and well, well, bush life and and a sort of city and the ocean life and it was really good yeah you sound like you had a really tranquil very like off the grid kind of childhood that would have been so unique particularly I guess um as we were growing up you know we started to have the introduction of technology and stuff you would have had a really pure childhood lots of outdoor experiences when was it first that you started to have that connection with agriculture so I think it was it was sort of fairly young that I had my first sort of exposure to it um my mum actually was asked uh to babysit a lady's daughter and the lady was called Bonnie Henderson so I'm not sure so she's Sarah Henderson's daughter and they come from Bullo River um so you know a fairly prominent woman in the agricultural area so Bonnie asked her to babysit Harriet her daughter who was my age and we were only six months old at the time so she used to babysit us while Bonnie would go mustering or Bonnie would fly um, planes and do backflips in the sky because she's this phenomenal pilot. Um, and then Hattie and I rekindled in, well, rekindled, we met, I suppose, in preschool again. And I started hanging out with that family and they had, they had rodeo stock. So they would provide bucking balls to the rodeos. And that was my sort of first experience with livestock. And I just thought it was fantastic. And rather than watching Saturday Disney on the weekend like we did at home, we would go mustering and we would go and get go and get the horses and Bonnie made saddles and all this leather work and we would get to do that and we'd, we'd get to go and train the horses and it was just a really, really different lifestyle but, but I loved it and that was sort of my first, first experience and it was only when I was 14 and I was sort of driving past the export yards every day um, that I finally uh, convinced my parents to drive me in there and sort of say like, I'm, I'm, she's too young but can we give her a job and they they said exactly that. The HR lady said, look, she is too young, but we can put her on a work-ready program. So finally I, I got to start working in the export yards when I was all of 14 and my, to my parents' absolute dismay, they would drive me to the yards because it was a very big feedlot, uh, very big export yards, excuse me, about eight to 11,000 head, which is big for like a biosecurity yard. And they would drop me at the yards at 2 a.m. Sometimes I would load cattle until 8 a.m. and then I would go to school on the bus from there. So wow. it was, I don't know how, I'm sure I absorbed no, no schoolwork at that age, but it's all I wanted to do. And, and that's sort of where I really got the, the 
the feel for the agricultural industry and the livestock industry. Yeah, absolutely. What a unique opportunity at 14 to sort of go and do that. And really good on your parents for saying, you know what, you you seem really keen. We'll give it a go and see how you go, as I think most parents would probably be like, you know what, school's got to be your number one priority maybe in a couple of years. How was it being so young around, you know, adults in this space? Was that really where you sort of started to grow and say, you know what, this is an industry that I'm going to follow? What was it sort of like navigating that at 14? Well, it was tricky. I had some interesting experiences, in fact. Um, I mean, I was the only girl um, and I was extremely young and it was my first experience to a lot of older men and and the whole, you know, the guys would have been 25 in that environment, the majority of them. And it, it was tricky. It, it was tricky, but I, I was extremely motivated. I just wanted to please them. Um, and so I learned a lot about how the industry worked there and how, you know, how important it is to the, the economy, but also about sort of that's when I was figuring out that women aren't very common in, in this field and mm. that, I don't really have as much say as the men, mm. and it, it, it was it was just it was an interesting dynamic. I, but it really did force me to grow up because from there I was you know I was going back to school and I never really liked to hang out with my school friends. I was like I've got my older friends at work, and it was a really strange kind of dynamic. Yeah, that definitely would have been, especially fourteen and fifteen as a young woman. That's a really important age where you start to sort of become a woman I guess from a child and so you're navigating these old relationships but also being surrounded by a lot of men in their 20s it would have been a pretty uh open sort of format as well like growing up very quickly and I guess you do touch on the fact that you know you were the only woman around and even now, you know, we're going to touch on the fact that you were the first woman to become an auctioneer, to run an auction in Tasmania. How have you sort of seen since you were in the stockyards and sort of the progression to your career actually seen women come into this space? Because I think it's it's been a really slow progression. Yeah, extremely. And I haven't, I haven't really seen it, I suppose. I mean, um, I, I suspect that's sort of the issue. I... Um, yeah, I, I just sort of haven't. I was gen- – so we have another livestock agent, uh, Beck Woolley, who has been with the company for like 15 years. She was one of the you – know, she was the first agent that Rural Co. ever put on, woman agent, excuse me. Um, and when I flew down to Tasmania for the interview, I was shocked to hear that because it's, it was really rare. And, I mean, we have a lot more women coming into this field now, which is great. I mean, when I was at the auctioneering school in Sydney, there was two other girls there, which was fantastic. So there was three in like a school of 50 boys. But that's, that was a lot more than I was expecting. So it is changing, but, my gosh, it's slow. It's a really slow, you know, slow sort of moving thing. But it, it, but it is more acceptable now. And whether or not companies do it to tick a box is you know, is, is another thing, but it certainly is changing. Yeah. It's exciting to see that. And I think it's exciting to have women like yourself being provided with the opportunities. And I know we're going to speak about that a little bit more in a minute, but before then, I'm sure everyone listening wants to know a little bit about what your actual role is down in Tassie <laughs> as a livestock agent and auctioneer and sort of how that role came about. Yeah. So my current role, I, essentially, I look at it like it's a a real estate or a specialist real estate agent for farmers. You know, we go in there and we value their herd uh, based on what the current market is, which we have to keep very up to date with, and and also based on the quality of their stock 
and their genetics. So my my week could entail, you know, going out and weighing lambs or drafting cattle and then advising their client based on the things I just said on where the best place is to market those livestock and then executing that to do it and to get their goals. But to to know their goals and to to achieve those, I need to build relationships with these clients. So building rapport is imperative to being a decent agent. So along with all the driving and drafting and weighing, there's a lot of cups of tea around coffee tables with farmers and their wives and their kids, just getting to know them all and, you know, building trust so that they trust me with a lot of money and a lot of their hard work to put it into the, the best market possible and then to also take advice on what they should be doing with their farm and with their livestock to achieve that goal, whether it be profitability or getting a reputable breed together. Yeah, I think that's really important when you say it's about building trust because I think coming into the agricultural industry, we're always willing to have new people come in, but I think you really have to understand that it's about trust. It's about being authentic and having a genuine passion. And a lot of that can actually allow you to achieve a really successful career in the space. And I think that it's really important what you mentioned, but for you, your career didn't actually really start out in life. Well, you started in livestock, but then at the demise of live export, you decided that you were going to study accounting. So where did that sort of conversation or thought process change for you that you were going out of livestock for a while so it was it was sort of forced upon me it was something that I never thought I would I would do I never thought I would not be chasing cattle around but I uh when the 2011 ban hit we were entirely out of out of work I mean so many people are still feeling the repercussions of that awful decision Mm -hmm. um now but so I was completely out of a job and I had no idea what I wanted to do and I didn't want to do anything else, but I didn't have many options. I mean, the Northern Territory has one market predominantly the majority of the year and that yeah. is live export. So when that shut, yeah. we were really, you know, stumped. Yeah. Um, so I, my, my auntie was an accountant and she got to work from home and so I thought I, I really probably need to do something else. So I went and did uni in the evenings and I was in childcare during the day. And when I, when I graduated, um, I, I got to start my bass agent business relatively early. And through my lecturer, uh, who was an auditor and accountant, and through my auntie, I acquired a few clients and started to build relationships, much like this job. And yeah, I started to get a, a pretty good little business together. And it's much like a lot of those skills are transferable to now. You know, it was building relationships and ensuring that they trusted me with all their money. Mm. Um, so yeah, and look, it, it's quite a boring profession in my opinion I, I didn't I didn't enjoy it so I very clearly remember where I was the day I got the message from my um the 2IC saying the ban was lifted and that we would have um live export operating again so it didn't last long I still have a couple of accounting clients that I use that I have on the side which which is good because it keeps my finger on the on the tax pulse but um yeah certainly prefer the agricultural realm yeah, for, for sure. It's such an exciting space. Initially, when you obviously applied for the role as a livestock agent, you actually applied for a lot of roles, didn't you? you I know yeah. you did a lot of flying, you did a lot of interviews. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious because there was a lot of flagging because you were a woman in the space. And this is only a couple of <laughs> years ago that you were applying for this with one even noting that they were impressed with you, but they thought, quote, Georgia, you're great, but I think it's a handicap to be a woman in the industry. What was it like hearing that comment? Because 
just because of your gender, they thought that you would be handicapped? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously it was extremely disheartening. But I feel like by that point, when that particular interview that you're talking about happened, I feel like I was pretty numb to it all. I, I'd been rejected because of my gender um, quite a few times leading up to that. Um, so I was, I was sort of becoming accustomed to it. I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of these interviews, and, and, and I mean, I went to so many. I lost count of how many times I have flown to the Qantas Club in Sydney or Melbourne to meet with a panel of three men, always men, and have a discussion with them about the job that I want to do. Yeah. Um, but I feel like, um, you know, I'm not always going to be somebody's cup of tea. I mean, that that's fine. So any jobs I didn't get because of that is, you know, that that's just that's just life. But when they specifically are telling me that they're extremely impressed with all my attributes and my characters, but my the first thing I, and last thing I did wrong was being a woman, <laughs> and the reason they can't give me a job is is just ridiculous and and quite barbaric in this day and age. And it was interesting because that particular interview they they put on a young fella and he lasted all of two weeks mm. um, for the job. So yeah, it is is just one of those things. And I you know they I remember that interview they offered me another role and the role was at one of their other other areas and it was it was it would have been more paid it would have been a very nice uh, position to have on my resume and I, and I said thank you I'm flattered but that's not what I want I want to be on the ground with the guys yeah. and I want to be doing this job yeah um yeah so it was that was a really interesting um partner I suppose even though I was numb to it it was very eye-opening that it is very difficult specifically for my gender and it's not one of those things where I'm, I'm saying I want I want a handout because I'm a woman. I it's nothing like that. It is specifically that I just wanted to be treated like a man. You know, mm-hmm. don't you know? Look at me for my abilities and only that. Mm. So yeah, it, it was very disheartening for a long yeah. time. Especially for the idea that we really, as women in agriculture. We actually, I think we fight not because we want to be recognized as women in the industry. I think because we want to have equality in the industry. And Mm. that's really important to what you say is that you just wanted to be recognized for your skills as you as a person called Georgia rather than a person with a specific gender. And I think the fact that this is only very fresh, that this was only a couple of years ago and we still haven't seen a lot of movement in the industry it really calls for the fact that I think there is a lot more conversation we need to be having. So it's great to hear you talk about your point on that. I think it's really important. But moving to Tassie, once you finally got offered a role with an amazing agency, what was it like going into that environment from the NT? Because I feel like they're two completely different places. <laughs> what was the initial, um, especially, you know, even with the type of livestock and farming that's happening, like you're moving from station country to small, you know, farming. What was it like to transition? Yeah, I mean, it, it was certainly big um, and it was a huge learning curve. I mean, it still is now. Um, like I mentioned earlier, you're going from a place that, you know, live export is just uh, you know, scrub balls and old boss indicators that have just been run in and that's it. And, you know, we do very little with them and then off they go. Um, whereas down here, everybody, you know, it, it's very small hobby farms or small condensed farming and genetics and nutrition is massive and people are really keen on utilising that to increase their profitability or whichever or whatever goal that they want to achieve, not necessarily always profitability. But um, so it, it was really interesting and I'm still learning about it now and I still find all that realm really, really fascinating um, and and really exciting. It was yeah, it was certainly 
a very big change. And then obviously having my first winter and learning what a puffer jacket was, that was also exciting too. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's certainly a big change, but I, I really do enjoy the science that a lot of um, the sort of southern, uh, southern part of Australia use to, to increase their farming. Yeah, absolutely. It's a completely different place. And I think to have the opportunity to work in a place where you haven't previously been can only expand your knowledge and actually make you a better agent. You were the first woman in Tasmania to conduct a livestock auction. I'd love for you to tell us about that experience. And also, you know, what made you want to be an auctioneer? Because that in itself is quite interesting. I actually have, I'd never, ever thought of being an auctioneer ever. I think the day I interviewed with Rafe Bell um, from Nutrien. He he asked, oh, just by the way, do you do auctioneering? And I said, no, I speak really fast though. Um, I probably wouldn't be too bad at it. And he sort of laughed and said, oh, okay, well, you know, we, we always need new auctioneers. And like the first week I started, they were booking in a school. Um, we happened to have one of, I'm biased, but one of the best auctioneers in Australia, Warren Johnson, who works for us. And he was on the board of the Alpha committee and they hold these fantastic auctioneering schools um and one was in Sydney and they sort of said oh there was me and another young colleague of mine and they they sent us and it was great and I had so much fun and I got really good feedback they did tell me to slow down but it was um <laughs> it was great um and yeah I just really enjoyed it and we start most people like the other auctioneers that we have here have been doing it for years they you know they all started selling at clearing sales so I got to do a little bit of that and then one day we were up in the rail and I was booking the sale and then Drew just sort of, Drew Skinner, who was another one of our very good auctioneers, just sort of stopped and said, right, I go Georgia. And we were on the bulls and, and it went from there and afterwards and I was terrified and they were all so gracious with me. And afterwards I was like, why did you only tell me right on the pen? And he goes, because if I told you at the start, you you would have been so nervous. And yeah. he's, and it was actually a really clever move because it, it worked quite well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so and it was a big thing for the buyers, you know, all in jest, but they were sarcastically shocked. And, but, you know, it was all, um, yeah, it was, a, I suppose, a, a big uh, transition for everybody, but it was really good. And I'm still, you know, have so much to learn, but I'm really lucky that I've got a very supportive bunch of people around me if I'm missing where I'm at or if I've lost the bid or anything like that within half a second, you know, somebody's in my ear or someone's calling out where I am. So I'm, I'm very lucky. I couldn't imagine doing it without the supportive colleagues I have around me they're really great yeah that's fantastic what's it like doing it is it just a bit of a buzz or how how is your brain even functioning when <laughs> you're doing an auction it were yeah it is I, I think about it when I'm not doing it and I watch my colleagues do it so Drew and Drew and Warren in particular because you have a very small period of time where you have to where you stand up there you can walk through and look at the stock first but you have a very short window where you stand up and you look over at that animal and you're like, right, and I'm going to say with confidence to these very experienced people how much I think this animal is worth and then I'm going to bid my way through it. So it, it is extremely daunting, but I, I really enjoy it. And, again, if I'm ever ever stuck or flustered, I'm really lucky because I just sort of whisper to one of my colleagues and they whisper in my ear how much to ask for and do it with confidence um, because there's nothing worse than when you ask something that's wrong and everybody is like no that's that's wrong and all the buyers who again are very experienced people know know what that price of the animal should be so you really need to know as well so you can ask it confidently but it, but it is really fun but yeah 100% just a, a buzz a lot of adrenaline really yeah <laughs> it yeah. sounds strange but it is 
I can only imagine that would be so interesting to just know how your brain can just, cause you're, you're worrying about so many things at once. Like you're obviously you're worrying about the price, you've got your livestock and then you're worrying about different people bidding in different areas. And then some bidders are really, <laughs> oh, they make themselves really known and present and others are quite like subtle and that. Just yeah. a wink. Yeah, yeah literally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've got to be onto it. Lucky you're a woman. You can multitask. That is a benefit right. of being a woman. But uh, right. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you're doing a phenomenal job. That's amazing. I'd also love to touch on the fact that you're actually studying at the moment a psychological science degree. Don't know how you're finding the time. That's impressive in <laughs> itself. But tell us about the experience or uh, why psychology? What did you want to get out of that? And what did you think that that would provide value for what you're doing at the moment? Uh, it's a really good question. I actually don't know how I originally got into it. I think it was more so I've always had a bit of an interest in it. And it was probably more when I, I had a bit of a, a traumatic event, I went through something quite rough. And I up until that point had sort of thought of psychology or psychologist as like voodoo. I sort of didn't yeah. think rate it much. And then only when yeah. I needed one and I learned about the chemical imbalances of brains and, um, and why people do that and why, you know, what stress does on a body and how much science there actually is involved that I became really intrigued with it. And like psychology is applicable in all facets of life, you know, how Absolutely. and why people do things is, is really, really important. And particularly in a sales job, regardless of whether I made it as an agent, which at this when I started, I didn't know if I would um, make it into an agency role um, or whether I, you know, tried to get into a manager role or an accounting business, knowing um, how to adapt, you know, to other people's emotions and, and understand why people do that and how people act under pressure and stress is really important and interesting. And I probably use it more for myself um, to better myself and to help myself, you know, mm. for anything else. And um, that's, it's very nearly done now and I, I'm, I'm moving into the Masters of Ruminant Nutrition, which obviously will be, um, is, is, is tricky, but will be very beneficial to my current clients because I can discuss them about nutrition. It's sort of another notch on my belt. And in terms of finding the time, I, when, I, when I talk about it, I don't know how I've got the time. I mean, I, I just had to become over the last sort of four years extremely rigid with my schedule, mm. you know, three to four mm. days a week. I I study until midnight and then one and a half days on the weekend I study. Um, I've also, uh, my partner's a vet and so he's very clever with the ruminant nutrition part mm-hmm. of things. So mm-hmm. I've got like an in-house tutor and he's very supportive. So yeah, I'm pretty yeah. lucky there. You sound very disciplined and also very motivated. And I think they're two things. If you're going to study while you work full time, you have to have. I also think it's quite interesting when you touched on the point of not necessarily feeling like a psychologist was relevant until you actually needed one yourself. And I think that that is something that particularly regional people, particularly people in ag, mental health is something that we're still coming to terms with. So I love the fact that you have, you know, seen the value in that yourself and then decided to actually better yourself and study it. And I think that that's really important to, you know, be aware of when you do need help, but also not be afraid of people who have that education to actually better yourself because there's so much value with actually seeking out that professional help, I think. Yeah, undoubtedly. It really it really did wonders wonders for me. Um, I mean, and enough to, to sort of encourage me to go and study it. So it really is a fantastic thing. And you're right, there, there is so much stigma still. And I, and I hate that. I feel like we've just made that such a term that should almost be made redundant but it's it it, there is so much stigma still attached to it and again more so I think in in regional areas one whether it be resources and lack of but we really do 
um, lack it in, in that area. So it is important to talk about it too. Yeah, definitely. Kayla and I are both huge, huge advocates of mental health and um, seeking out professional help. So I love that we chat about that. I would love to know the last couple of questions before we wrap up. What is your hope for the future of the agricultural industry? And secondly, what's in the future horizon for you and where do you see yourself going in the industry? Um, I think the way things are and the way uh, I think the, the amount of people who are moving towards you know, non, non-meat options and, and things like that, I think sustainability is just going to be huge and, and making sure we do that. And I think um, what would really help is diversifying um, management a little bit more. I mean, I have brilliant managers at the moment. I, I work under sort of three tiers of brilliant people, but they're all men. Um, and it would be fantastic if we had some, I think, some women in, in sort of senior agricultural realms and or mm-hmm. more so livestock. Livestock positions, I think that'll I think that's imperative to the longevity of of this industry. Um, and, and for me, I, I'm, I'm not really sure. I mean, this, I, I'm, I'm in my dream job at the moment and I'm so happy to be in it. Um, and I think just getting better at auctioneering and trying to sort of match, match my colleagues would be huge for me. I mean, it's also, I mean, I've been in this position for two years now and it's still all so exciting and every week is different. So um, I think just becoming a really good agent and auctioneer is a, sounds like a minor goal, but is a really one, big one for me. And that, I think that that's okay as well to to be just really happy and content with where you are and just wanting to be better at your job because I think that's when amazing opportunities come to help you elevate your career. So you get those, they sort of just flow in. And I think that that's really exciting that you are really just motivated and you can just tell you're so loving your job. And I think that that's a really special thing. And I think that having more women listening to these podcasts and understanding that, you know, livestock agent career for women is is available and is something that women can pursue and it's great to have someone like you to look up to in that space thanks very much yeah i appreciate it so before we go final question georgia where can people find you if they want to get in touch or see what you're up to where is the best place to go uh probably facebook so georgia rose gorham on facebook and georgia rose gorham on instagram Awesome. And you also are on LinkedIn as well. So we might link that as well, professional profile too. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been such a beautiful conversation. I've really appreciated chatting with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Generation Ag. We hope you loved it. If you did, don't forget to visit our guest bios page on our website where you can get all of their contact information. And if you have an idea for another guest in the future or a story that you want to hear, you can get in touch with us via our email, which is hello at generationag.com.au. Don't forget to follow us on our socials at generation.ag. That's Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And if you've loved this episode as well, you can share it with your friends on your socials and make sure to subscribe to us on the podcast app and leave us a review because that all really helps as well. Thanks, guys. Bye.